listening to SBS On The Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Hi everyone, it's your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Monday, the 7th of June 2021. Later, scammers netting $850 million in 2020 from Australians, so we'll tell you what you need to know. But first, a story from Standard & Poor's. The Global Credit Ratings Agency has given Australia's fiscal position the tick of approval, retaining its AAA credit rating but replacing its negative outlook with stable. So for more, I spoke earlier with Anthony Walker, S&P Global Ratings Director. Anthony, S&P has revised Australia's outlook from AAA with a negative outlook to one with a stable outlook. Why? Yeah, we've really got more confidence today than we had last year on the fiscal recovery of the Australian government's budget. Um, last year, everyone will be aware, COVID struck. There was a huge spending announcement from the Sovereign. There was an economic contraction, a record contraction in June last year. Uh, and we were really concerned about the recovery in the fiscal position would be much slower than the government was expecting. Uh, today, we've got much greater clarity and uh, confidence that the government's fiscal position will recover as they expect. To what extent is this a reflection of the management of Australia's economy, or has the government gotten lucky with things like a booming commodity price? Yeah, definitely both are contributing to this. Uh, obviously, the high iron ore price is driving taxation revenues and helping with uh, fiscal data. Uh, but the government's response has been a very strong and without the government's response and the JobKeeper, for example, and the, the health uh, measures that all governments in Australia have imposed, uh, we wouldn't be talking about a stable rating outlook right now, no matter what the iron ore price would be. So this stable outlook, what does it mean for borrowings and ultimately what does it mean for the average person? Yeah, for the average person, probably nothing. Um, what it means for investors is that there's more confidence that the Australian fiscal position uh, is recovering and that the government is more likely than otherwise to repaying its debt on time and in full. Uh, and even at a negative outlook, it's still a very highly rated sovereign. It's one of only 11 that we have at this le- rating level. There are still uh, threats to this outlook, I would assume. What are they? Yeah, the biggest one is COVID. Um, the government has done remarkably well to control the health outbreaks, Uh, This has really helped and underpinned the economic recovery and fiscal recovery. Uh, And we're all aware that the vaccination tasks or the vaccination targets haven't been going as smoothly as the government expected. So definitely COVID, uh, another outbreak such as we saw in Victoria late last year, they're the kind of negative um, risks that we're seeing to the economy. Anthony Walker there from S&P. Now, it does paint a positive picture about Australia's economy and combined with other data seems to suggest that official interest rates may rise sooner than expected. ANZ today said its job ad survey rose in May to be nearly 39% higher than pre-pandemic levels. For more, I spoke earlier with Catherine Birch, ANZ's senior economist. Catherine, how would you describe the level of job ads and what does it say about the labour market? ANZ job ads is 39% above its pre-pandemic level and at a 12-and-a-half-year high. So that's signalling to us that solid employment gains are going to continue. And actually, ANZ job ads is consistent with an unemployment rate of 5% at the moment, which suggests that we'll see unemployment fall sharply from its current 5.5% and could also see underemployment fall further. We're currently forecasting an unemployment rate of 4.8% by the end of this year and 4.4% by the end of 2022. So given those predictions for the unemployment rate, what does it say about wages? Will we start to see some wages growth sooner? 
So the big question is the strength of the transition from labour market underutilisation through to wages growth. Now, last cycle, that relationship wasn't very strong. So even as we saw underutilisation fall, wages growth was still quite subdued. Things could be quite a bit different this time around. We could see wages growth pick up um, more sharply, particularly given the restrictions around labour mobility at the moment, both domestically and also due to closed international borders. So, rates on hold until 2024, that's what the RBA says, or it says the conditions for a rate rise won't happen until 2024 anyway. But given what we're starting to see, and, you know, your report, does it suggest we might see interest rates start rising sooner than that? Look, the probability that rates start to rise earlier than 2024 is increasing. Uh, The RBA has outlined really a double trigger for a cash rate hike, and that is that Inflation is within its 2 to 3% target band, but also that wages growth is above 3%. So what's really going to be important is firstly how far labour underutilisation falls and how quickly that flows through to wages growth accelerating. And just finally, what about the Victorian lockdown? Will that affect any future outcomes? So we think that the Victorian lockdown is unlikely to derail the state's uh, labour market recovery. Um, Although we could see some people lose employment uh, during this period, um, because the underlying strength in the labour market is is doing so well, people should be reinstated or find new jobs relatively quickly once restrictions start to ease. But the sooner those restrictions ease, the, the faster we'll see a return to where we were. Catherine Birch there from ANZ. The Australian share market fell today. The S&P ASX 200 down by 0.2% to 7,281. Travel stocks hit hard amid those rising COVID-19 numbers in Melbourne. And we also saw the casinos and NAB falling amid an Austrac investigation. For more, I spoke earlier with um, Omkar Joshi, the Portfolio Manager at Opal Capital Management. Omkar, what's driving the market today? So we're seeing a bit of weakness coming through in the financials names and, and really the strength is coming through on the tech names. And it's really a follow-on from what we saw on Friday night in the US where we did see some of these bond proxies and names that are sensitive to rates actually being lower, doing a lot better uh, relative to some of the financial names. One sector that is down is uh, that the travel sector. I'm assuming that's because of the ongoing Victorian lockdown. But, but has the sector been oversold, especially as more and more people start getting vaccinated? I don't think it's necessarily been oversold just yet. I mean, let's not forget the travel names did have a very strong rally from the lows and there is already a lot of good news priced into these names. So while while where we are today, there is going to be a recovery. A lot of that's already in the share prices and a lot of that's been baked in. So while they've come off, I mean, on the long-term view, they're probably still okay. Short-term, I mean, you might see a bit bit more weakness in these names because let's also not forget that a lot of the travel names, especially travel agents, are very much exposed to offshore travel, um, you know, names like Flight Centre. And until we actually see the Borders opening up, people travelling overseas, those names will stay under pressure, whereas Qantas is definitely much more leveraged to domestic travel. And so once we see that open up, and we have largely seen a lot of that open up already, they're actually in a pretty good position anyway. I guess one of the corporate stories of the day is Austrac launching several investigations into casino companies and NAB. What do you make of it? 
I think it's pretty clear that um, Austrac has definitely tightened its focus on regulation in the last few years. I mean, we've seen cases already with Westpac, with Combank, even with Tabcorp over the years, and, and they are definitely increasing their scrutiny and, and they are actually increasing a lot more of the enforcement action. So, look, I, I think it's pretty clear that, as, as always, companies need to be aware of their regulatory compliance requirements. Um, and the fact is that Austrac is going to be a lot more active in that space and, and we'll see what happens going forward. But it does take time for these things to settle. And finally, we're hearing more and more about the potential for interest rates to rise sooner than expected. Uh, Global central banks are starting to taper stimulus or even talking about it. Why do you think about all of that? And how does one start preparing for this as an investor? Yeah, look, I think there definitely is the risk that we do see rates start to rise quicker than expected. I mean, we're already talking about potentially rates rising earlier. We're already seeing the long rates, your bond, your 10-year bond yields moving higher. And so that is all symptomatic of the fact that we are seeing inflation come through. I mean, there's an argument that maybe some of that's transitory and not permanent. But regardless of that, there is definitely some inflation coming through. There is tightness in the in the labour market. And we're also seeing strength in commodity prices. And so that's all very positive for rate increases. So it is very likely we do see that coming through earlier than expected and earlier than what the RBA has guided to. Um, in terms of positioning from an investor's perspective, that really does mean you want to be more in some of the material names, the inflation-sensitive names, and, and also names like financials, which definitely benefit from higher rates, and, and less so in some of the technology names and growth names, which have done very well in a low-rate environment. But obviously, as rates start to go up, those names start to become a bit more challenged, and it is positive more for the material and, and financial sectors. I'm Kod Joshi there from Opal Capital Management. Now, scams have or scammers have used the pandemic to fleece Australians out of their savings with scams costing $851 million in 2020. For more, Dom Vukovic spoke with the ACCC's Deputy Chair, Delia Ricard. Delia, Australians lost nearly a billion dollars to these scams. Um, tell us about what makes them so successful and who's being targeted here? Scammers target basically everyone and different scams appeal to different groups. So you've got older people over 65 who lose the most money and they tend to fall for things like investment scams, romance scams, remote access scams. Younger people are more likely to be a victim of an online shopping scam, a cryptocurrency scam. And how are these scams carried out? What, what makes them so sophisticated in the way that they hook people? But there's a number of things they do which is very effective. So they attach their excuses to topical events. So, for instance, during COVID, there was a huge number. I think we've got over 44,000 reports of phishing scams, many of which were government impersonations. And the scammers wanted to get your personal information so they could you know, try to get early access, your early access to super rights or to access benefits. Um, or to commit all sorts of other fraud. They did an incredible job of impersonating the government. And because people were expecting to hear from the government at this time, it didn't seem strange to be hearing from scammers. Just like during the bushfires earlier in the year, um, you know, there are a range of charity scams um, where people were looking to help, you know, appeared to be looking to help genuine victims, but weren't. So they make it seem real by attaching it to current events. And like we said, the the amount is absolutely phenomenal. Um, which sort of sectors incurred the biggest losses? Look, consumers incurred the biggest losses and the greatest losses were to investment scams. Um, 
a huge increase in there, particularly cryptocurrency scams. Um, secondly, romance scams. And interestingly, last year for the first time, we saw this sort of crossover between romance scams and investment scams. The scammer would meet you on a dating app where they'd you know, be quick to profess their love. But then they would start talking about money. They'd say, look, I'm making you know, all this money from this investment. Can I show you this website and teach you how to do it? The victim would put in a little bit of money then to see whether or not it was really legitimate. They might try to take some money out. They could, so they believe in it and their love interest is encouraging to put more and more in. So investment and romance scams were the biggest, but the next biggest was what we call payment redirection scams where a company or soccer club, it could be anything from a big company to a small local sporting club, is expecting a bill from a supplier. The scammer hacks into the supplier's email, um, takes an invoice that's due and then adds to it, oh, we've changed our payment details, please pay to this account. So what can consumers look out for or people that are susceptible victims, what can they look out for? What sort of telltale signs, given that these scans are so sophisticated in the way that they mirror government departments and, and other people that, are, that consumers are expecting calls from? Uh, look, I think the basic rule has to be that if somebody contacts you out of the blue by phone, by email, by SMS, no matter who they say they are or pretend to be, do not give them your personal information, particularly financial information. Don't give them money and don't give them remote access to your computer. And if you think for any reason they might be legitimate, still hang up, press delete, go and find a independently Google search or something, the contact details for the organisation and call and check. It is the only sure way of knowing whether something's legitimate or not. Delia Ricard there from the Age C, the Deputy Chair. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Business Ricardo. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision.